Good morning. Welcome to Bloomer Baptist Church. Thank you for watching or listening this morning. Thank you for being in person, if able. And please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 21. And we will start today with seeing Paul praying on his knees. Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 21, as we are in week 9 of this Ephesians series, Building a New You. I'd like to start with an illustration as you're turning to Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 21. I heard of a story of a man who always prayed on his knees. Despite his desperate, constant, weakly pleas to his wife, she would always pray while sitting. It's more comfortable to pray while sitting, she would exclaim. The husband did not like the idea of always praying while sitting, as he felt that it did not seem to be coming to God, the Father of all creation, with the same level of respect and awe. And so God may not be as led to hear his prayers and grant their daily needs or requests. So one day the husband thought up a plan to help illustrate this to his wife. He asked his children to go to mom, sit next to her, and ask her to give them a day off from doing the farm chores. Oh, and give them money so they, they could go into town and buy themselves some ice cream instead of doing their part around the house. The mom quickly said no, of course. Of course not. And next time they should consider how they come to her. Apparently the way they asked gave her the impression that they deserved to have the day off and money for ice cream compared to coming and seeking her grace and mercy and requesting her to lovingly bless them their request. The husband now entered the room and admitted that he paid his kids to help him make a point. He said, if the kids would have come before you on their hands and knees paying respect to you and your loving mercy, would you have treated them differently? She admitted that she probably would have, but then told him that he is sleeping on the couch for next week. The kids will join him in doing the farm chores for not respecting her and plighting against her. And she was going for ice cream by herself while they did all her housework too. <laughs> now I made that story up, but it does apply today. Praise God that he hears our prayers no matter the posture and wording. But there is still something to be said for coming to God with the correct attitude. This morning, we come to the second prayer of Paul in the book of Ephesians. And Paul comes before God on his knees. When Paul wrote this, people generally did not kneel to pray. The normal posture for prayer in that day was standing. So why did Paul kneel then? His prayer carried emotion. This isn't just a cold intellectual prayer. There is emotion behind what Paul is going to say. He cared deeply about these people, and this prayer shows it. A couple of months ago, we examined Paul's first prayer in chapter 1, verse 15 to 23, and saw Paul's desire for the Ephesians that they might know God more intimately. More specifically, that they might know the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and the greatness of his power. In this passage today, Chapter 3, verse 14 to 21, Paul writes a second prayer, a personal prayer, a plea for these people, a prayer that they may apply today, that may apply today for all believers, a prayer that all believers would comprehend and apply these blessings and how they live. Paul emphasizes God's strength and power at work within us so that we can know 
have knowledge of God's love and mercy more and more. The love of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, is available to us as believers, as followers of Christ. The Greek word Paul uses here for power is dynamis, the same root word for which we get our word dynamite. Its meaning denotes violent power, mighty, wonder-working power and strength, a power and strength which effectually impacts not just the subject, but subjects around it also. Today's big idea is this. God empowers us with strength and knowledge to know his love and to be changed by it in such a way that others will be changed as well. It's like dynamite in a trained soldier or a trained demolition expert. It impacts that person and those around them, but not by destroying them, by making them new, more like Christ, fulfilled and dwelled, strengthened with great love and knowledge. <clears throat> Again, God empowers us with strength and knowledge to know his love and to be changed by it in such a way that others will be changed as well. Let's read now from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. Please follow along in your Bibles. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, now, verse 20, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, Paul praises God here before he ends his prayer. According to the power that at work, is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let it be so. Amen, amen, and amen. Paul, in humility, prays for spiritual enrichment for others. We are going to dive deep into this prayer today. Paul begins this prayer with saying, for this reason, and this ties him back to verse 1 of the chapter. Remember I said last week that verses 2 to 13 of this chapter are parentheses. They pause. Paul started with one thought, then quickly interjected another thought before coming back now to his original thought in a prayer, as he often does. And as we do as well, think about how often we pray and we pray, and we go deeper into prayers. As we go deeper, deeper, our minds get sidetracked. We have rabbit trails. I know mine does. Maybe you pray for a family that you enjoy spending time with. And before you know it, you're thinking of the cookout you had with that family. The awesome steak and potatoes, the corn on the cob, the water. Did I get sidetracked? Oh, the fellowship, the games, and then oops, Back to prayer. All of a sudden, you realize what you've done. You say, sorry, God, I'm sorry for getting sidetracked. And you begin to pray again. But before you know it, you're off track again. Paul is getting back to his original purpose of chapter 3 now. But his thoughts in verses 2 to 13 were of all great spiritual importance. It wasn't talking about a cookout, my friends. He starts with the words, for this reason. 
for this reason, refers to all the truths that Paul has already talked about in this letter. Everything that's come before this, as Paul uses this to transition into a prayer and then beginning the second part of the letter, talking about our responsibilities. But because God is who he is, because God has made us alive in Christ, because God has established the church as his people, because Paul is a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles, because Gentiles and Jews alike are reconciled together to God and one another. For this reason, he prays, for this reason, we pray. We see then his posture For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. Stop here. Let me focus for a moment on Paul's posture of prayer. This is a posture of humility. He prays with humility, and we too should pray with humility. We should pray with humble gratitude, humble desperation, and humble confidence, as David Platt said. Humble gratitude is where we have gratitude for everything that God has graciously given us. Humble desperation is we know that we are nothing without him and we need his daily provisions. Humble confidence is we know that he will provide for us what we need. Being on your knees may also reflect a humble submission to God as an authority. And being on your knees may also show passion or intensity in your prayers, just as Paul is praying here today. Now, there are those that read this and come up with all sorts of rules for prayer, but they don't look at the other scriptures surrounding God's word around prayer. They look specifically at this and say, oh, we must pray on our knees. But there are several postures of prayer in the Bible. Solomon, David, and the priest are recorded as standing with arms lifted high to heaven. In fact, this was the common posture, Jewish posture of prayer. We can also find examples of David and and the prophets prostrate, lying flat on their faces before God. Some may enjoy walking and praying. Some may enjoy riding their bike and praying. Some may enjoy praying while they're at work, sitting at their desk. Some may enjoy praying with others while they walk, run, bike, sit, lay, whatever it may be. Some may enjoy praying as they listen to music, praying as they, as they play music. All may be positions of humility, reverence, and awe. Why do I say all this? Because I want you to see that the posture is determined by your attitude. The posture you take, the physical posture, is not all that important. And not the reason Paul mentions it here. It is the attitude that is important, and God wants us to come to him with humble hearts, like Paul. Do you come before God in humility, desperation, confidence? Do you submit to him as an authority over your lives, ruling your lives? Do you pray to him in awe and with reverence? We are helpless, hopeless, powerless without him and his grace. Come to him in awe for all he is and does. Paul's purpose in praying was for the enrichment of others, and he does so out of desperation, out of gratitude, out of confidence. Let's read verses 16 to 19 again. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Note, Paul prays acknowledges to be according to the riches of God's glory, not our own. Praise God for this. God's riches and power are limitless, endless. It is a wealthy storehouse which never empties, a credit card which never bounces, a checkbook which never, never has problems. He provides what Paul and humans never could. And there's no lack on God's part on what is available to his children. If there's a lack of power in the believer's life, it's not because God has run out of our lives. It's because we're not seeking God, his glory, his will. But back to Paul's purpose in praying. Paul desires that they, you, your, they be empowered to live the Christian life. And he prays for the Spirit to give them what they need. Note that Paul does not pray for the type of things that we often pray for. Our concerns seem too often to be on the material rather than the spiritual, the temporal rather than the eternal. There's nothing wrong with praying for a job or for somebody who's ill or sick, but let's be careful to view it from the eternal spiritual side as well. For example, when praying for somebody's job, let's also pray that God places them in a job where they can bring glory to God either directly or in the work or through being a witness of godliness. <clears throat> Another example, as you pray for somebody to be healed, somebody struggling with physical ailments, sickness, disease, struggles, even more, pray that in the midst of these physical issues, a person will be drawn closer to Christ and have the opportunity to tell others about the hope that they have in him. How does Paul pray here? Paul prays that they would be strengthened with power in the inner being. He focuses on the spiritual, eternal side of things. One pastor said, the, eternal, the in, inner being is the spiritual side of the be, believer. That soul aspect that once was dead but has been made alive together with Christ. It is the inner being that is to set the direction and manner of living and the inner being includes our minds, our emotions, and our wills. Some pastors may, may describe that a little differently, but I thought that description was fitting. And Paul comments in Romans 12, 2, that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. He's referring to the inner being here. We are to become wise unto God so that we are not deceived and carried away by every wind of doctrine, Ephesians 4, 14. And we are to develop a self-control so that we will no longer be controlled by the desires of our flesh and mind, but rather by moving of the Holy Spirit in us. 1 Corinthians 9, 25, Galatians 5, 23, and 2 Peter 1, 6. Pastor Tony Merida said that our culture puts too much emphasis on the outer being, but the inner being is far more important. And I think you can agree with that. Our inner being needs strength and power to fight sin and proclaim the gospel with courage and to love people God's way. This power should be realized to such a degree that it is grounded and rooted, as verse 17 says. Roots and being grounded firmly, righteously, are vitally important to a plant and to a building, for they accomplish different functions. For one, roots absorb water and nutrients so the plant can grow. For two, they anchor the plant in place so that it is not blown away. The storms of life may come, but there's roots which are dug deep 
even dug deep around rocks, around branches, around root, other roots. They hold it in place. And even in the midst of the storm, in the midst of trials, struggles, adversity, those roots still gain nourishment, nutrients from God. A building to be properly grounded is crucial to stand the test of time. I remind you, all these aspects are important for us too. We should be praying for ourselves and others to be grounded, rooted in our faith in God's love, power, and strength, which is now within us. Paul was more concerned about the eternal than the temporal. And so he prayed for the Ephesians in this manner. He knew that they needed strength, power, knowledge, great knowledge, knowledge which surpasses worldly understanding of Christ's love in order to withstand eternity and the temptations of Satan. He wanted them to become like Christ in their inner being, and we should follow his example. Pray for these things. Paul also prays that they would have comprehension. You see, it's important to comprehend knowledge. I can read a book. I can read lots of knowledge. But without understanding, without comprehending that knowledge, I'm not going to understand it in a way which I apply it to my life. And Paul and God desires understanding and application here. Do not simply hear God's word, comprehend and apply God's word. Let me say that again. Do not simply read God's word, hear God's word, but comprehend and apply God's word and pray to God for help in this. Paul's word then says, together with all the saints. These are those who are set apart by trusting in Christ as Lord. You see, together with the saints, together we comprehend these truths and apply them. Together we encourage and help one another. Together we need one another. Again, he is praying that these things, he's praying these things impact others. This is a prayer for others, not himself. How often do your prayers include such requests for others? Because all people need this understanding, this comprehension. For one, we are all new in Christ, babies in the faith at first, and growing in our maturity to be more like him with each day. We need strength and power and understanding for this process. Second, a reason we need to be strengthened is Satan and his workers and his work is all around us constantly at work to try to tempt us away from God's ways, God's word, God's promises and plan. And as Paul will point out later in this book, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The devil, our adversary, we're told in 1 Peter 5, 8, goes around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. But we must be strengthened. We can be strengthened by the Holy Spirit to face the cunning onslaughts against us. One pastor said, I like this quote, said that most of which are subtle temptations to lead us astray and trust ourselves rather than God, to seek our glory rather than the Lord's. That's what Satan wants to do, to make us think we don't need God. A third reason that we need to be strengthened is that God has given us a task, a great responsibility, the great commission to go to all nations, proclaiming the gospel, the good news, making disciples and baptizing them in the name of Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we can't do this on our own. We need God's help. 
Paul prays in verse 19 that they may be filled with the fullness of God. And this means total domination by God in all things. Your thoughts, your emotions, your will, your life, all controlled by God. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be dominated by him in everything you do and to bring glory to him. You see, Christ and the Holy Spirit, they must be dwelling in you for this to happen. And dwelling is not just living in you on occasion, but ruling over your life. As one pastor illustrates, it's not enough that Jesus has gotten through the front door, but that he is being welcomed into each room with the consequence that each room gets cleaned up and made ready for his presence and will. No guards, no locked doors, everything is open to him, every closet, every basement, every cellar. Christ must have a permanent wet residence, not just an occasional stay at a B&B. Some may say that Christ is already in their heart. Yes, he is, but he also must be allowed to rule over your life. Is Christ allowed to rule as king in your life? By faith, you must trust him and give him control. Give him permission to flip your house, your life, to remodel as needed, improving everything. It is in Christ indwelling you, which brings you and all the saints greater comprehension of the immensity of God's love, its breadth, its length, its light, I'm sorry, its height and depth. Or as one pastor said, what is its breadth? That our sins have been cast away as far as the east is from the west. What is its length? That loves us with an eternal love. What is its height that is preparing a dwelling place for us and, and heave so that we might be enjoying his forever presence? What is its depth that God our Savior became a man and paid for our sins in his own flesh? Listen closely. One commentator stated, I love this, that God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to last through all eternity. God's love is deep enough to reach the worst sinner and God's love is high enough to take us to the heavens. The love of Christ surpasses the ability of the world to understand it. But as God blesses us with, us with the understanding of his love and having the fullness of Christ within us each day, may it lead to a doxology of praise. And that's what Paul ends with here. Whew, we have rushed through this. I know we have. I hope you can read this at home and focus on it more deeply. But Paul ends praising God, saying, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now the final question is, what should we do with all this? In the couple minutes we have left, I want to say what to do to seek his power. First, remember a few things. Take these home, that big point, that big idea. God empowers us with strength and knowledge to know his love and to be changed by it in such a way that then we then can help change others as well. Like dynamite, God's love affects us and those around us. Pray for God's love, his strength, his knowledge and love to be more realized with each day so that all may come to know him fully. Finally, how do you seek his strength, his power, his knowledge and love? 
Pastor John Piper, in a 1984 sermon, used these points with a lot more description. His sermons are, gosh, probably an hour and five minutes long. Immense yourself in the word. Believe his word. Pray earnestly for understanding of his word. Listen and obey the Holy Spirit and obey his word by applying it to your life. Let's close in prayer now. Lord, we thank you for you are with us, Lord, and we pray for others. We pray for the saints. We pray for all believers, followers of Christ, ourselves included, that we might be strengthened with your power and with the understanding of the love of Christ which surpasses all the world. Give us the strength, give us this power, give us this understanding, and may people come to know you fully in all they do. And it's by your holy and powerful name we pray. Amen.